everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it's good to see you and be able to be with you today as we continue uh, in uh, our opportunity of worship and in the spirit of Thanksgiving. I hope you had a great week this week. You seem a little sleepy today. Are you a little sleepy today? And uh, you just need to, to, to pay attention or I'll make you stand up. I stand up a lot when I'm teaching, so you can stand up and listen. Uh, those of you that are online, uh, if you stuck your nose out today and you could be here and you just realize, you know, it's kind of cold. I think I'll stay in. I just want you to know that your tithe is now 12%, not 10% like the rest of the people that are here. And um, we want you to uh, to be acknowledge that. But those of you that are online, we're glad to have you with us and, and excited that we can join uh, together. Over the last few months, I've been um, sharing with you a series of messages called Vital Questions. And what we have done in this series is we've looked at questions that all of us have asked at one time or another in our life. And, uh, and then we find the answers to those questions. And our study has focused primarily uh, on the passage of Scripture in the book of Psalms. We've kind of looked at Psalms, and as we've gone through that, I have to admit to you, in preparation for the Vital Question series, I, I was reading through the Psalms, and I came to that amazing Psalm 103, and as I read through that Psalm, I said, you know what, we've just got to take a break and deal with this Psalm, because it is so beautiful and has so much to offer us, especially today, in the challenges that we face. And and, uh, and it depends, of course, on on the Bible that you have, because sometimes our Bibles have different helps and things on the front and the back. But the center of your Bible uh, for, for a long time in, in, in Scripture was Psalm 118. Uh, but if you look at the number of verses in the Bible, actually the center is in Psalm 103. And so it, it, it's the centerpiece of God's Word. And there's no questions uh, that are asked there. There's no struggling that is offered there. It's just nothing but heartfelt praise. And I just feel like we need that today. You know, we just need to kind of stop and focus on that because we have a tendency to kind of compartmentalize our lives, right? And what I mean by that is for many of us, we had a great Thanksgiving time together, but honestly, Thanksgiving's over, right? And you've moved on. Because the day after Thanksgiving is Black Friday. I mean, all these deals. And so some of you are full-blown, full-focus Christmas, right? Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have your Christmas decorations up or you're starting to put your Christmas decorations up? All right, so some of you have already started. Some of you started right after Thanksgiving. The man, the moment Thanksgiving's over, we put up that stuff. Then we begin to focus our attention here. And it's for that reason that I want to stop. Because we have a tendency to say, okay, Thanksgiving's over, Christmas time, and we just move from one thing to another. And our life is just, just you know, from one thing to another. And there are some things 
from Thanksgiving that we need to bring with us into Christmas. There, there are some thoughts that we need to carry with us into the seasons of this year. And I think this Psalm 103 might help us do that. So that's what I want to do in our time together. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 103. Now, Psalm 103, as I've mentioned, is one of the greatest hymns of praise in all your Bible. No questions, no struggles, just thankful praise to God for all his grace. And what I want to do in our time together is I want to focus on two things. You know me well enough to know that when I say two things, it doesn't necessarily mean two things. It's, it, it's two things, each containing four things, okay? Um, because first of all, I want to just kind of dissect this psalm. I want you to know how to, to read this psalm and, and experience it. And what we're going to look at is there are four divisions within the psalm. So we're just going to kind of unpack those divisions within the psalm. And then I, I love the fact that, that amid the divisions of Psalm 103, he gives us illustrations in the middle of it that, that provides for us uh, not just four divisions, but four dimensions of God's love. He's going to talk about the height, the breadth, the depth, and the length of God's love. And, and those are just things that we need to kind of carry with us. As we walk into a stressful time of year at Christmas and the challenges that we face in the other parts of our life. So with that in mind, look with me, if you will, at Psalm 103. And um, hey, uh, since you're uh, just a little bit sleepy and in honor of God's word, why don't we stand while we read God's word together? And those of you that are at home, stand up. All right, get out of the lazy boy recliner and move the blanket over and stand up. You join us, all right, as, uh, as we look at this. Very familiar psalm, but just listen to the praise that is offered. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your disease, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abiding, abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass and as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and it places, uh, it place acknowledges it no longer. 
But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children and to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength to perform his word. Obey the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all ye, all you his host, you who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his hands in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the reminder. We need to be reminded of this. We have moved on from Thanksgiving. We stopped for just a second and we asked a blessing on a meal and we said, thank you for the things you've done. And for many of us, that was it. That was the only focus that we had on your goodness. And it is the focus on your goodness that gives us the ability to live life with purpose today. So help us to understand the truths that you have recorded for us in this chapter. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, in the text, what the writer of the Psalms does is he gives us this amazing hymn of praise. Now, it can be divided in four basic areas. The first five verses, he speaks personally of God's blessing on his life. So in verse one through five, he focuses on praise for God's personal blessing. And we can see the five words that really focus our attention on those blessings for our life. And those words that he gives us are he forgives, he heals, he redeems, he crowns, and he satisfies. He begins by saying, he forgives all my sin. He forgives all my iniquities. The psalmist said, when I want to praise God, the place I began is recognizing that he forgives all my sin. I want to ask you a question. What does he say in that text? He forgives some of my sin. He forgives part of my sins. He forgives most of my sin. He forgives the sin that I'm aware of. But, the, but that one sin that I've committed that, that I can't get past, there's one that he won't forgive. No, he said he forgives all my sins. There's nothing that I have ever done that God will not forgive. When I come to him in repentance and turn from my sin, he is faithful and just, the Bible says, to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we've talked about the questions in the Vital Question series, we looked at the question, can God forgive? And we dove a little deeper in understanding that God forgives. But I want to tell you something. The psalmist has recognized there is freedom when we understand that we have been forgiven, that God has taken our sin and 
washed us clean. And so he says, he forgives all my sin. It translates, he forgives all my iniquities. We talked about those words, sin and iniquity and transgression that are used for sin. The word iniquity literally carries with it the idea that I have twisted your truth. I have made your word fit my own opinion and desires. And God says, I will forgive you even for twisting my word and making it applicable to your life. I'll forgive that and give you an opportunity to begin again. And so the psalmist says, man, we need never to get over the fact that we are forgiven. Secondly, he says, we, uh, I, I just thank you not only that I'm forgiven, I thank you that I'm healed. He heals all my diseases. Now, does he say he heals some of them? That he heals part of them? That he heals a few of them? No, he says he heals all my disease. Now, what does he mean when he praises God for healing all his disease? There are a lot of people that have misunderstood that verse. And if you misunderstand and misinterpret that verse, you're going to come to a place where you struggle later in life. And you're going to wonder if God really keeps his promises or if the Bible is true or if God answers prayer. What does he mean when he says he heals all my disease? Well, I believe he means exactly that. He heals all our disease. What I want you to understand is that sometimes healing happens without the removal of the disease. He's not saying that every time I have a disease and every time I have sickness, I can pray and God removes it. His, he is not promising that we will never have hardship, we'll never have difficulty, our friends and family will never die. All of us know that's not the case. Every one of us in this room have lost loved ones to cancer, to some other disease, and we pray that God would heal them. We pray that God would restore them, and we had confidence and faith that he would, and yet they died. So how do we make that verse fit with the reality of what we face? Well, I want you to understand that, that healing is not necessarily connected to the removal of our disease. Sometimes God brings healing in the midst of disease. Sometimes there is a healing that is bigger than the physical disease that I have. I shared with you the story a couple of times, I think, of, a, of an experience that I had with a, an assistant that I worked with in a church many years ago. And after I'd left this church, Gail um, got cancer. She had breast cancer and they did surgery and it metastasized and went to other parts and, and it just wasn't looking good for her. I returned to the town where I had pastored and, and made it a point to go by and see Gail. She had lost all of her hair as a result of the chemo treatment. She was weak and could barely speak. And I walked in the room and, and my heart sank and I, I, I was so burdened for her. And, and there was a joy in her that, that I had never experienced myself. And I'm looking at this woman who is in, in the latter stages of cancer, dying physically. And there is this sense of joy that she has. And I remember her looking up at me with a smile and, and, and with a weak tone saying to me, Carol, I've got to tell you that I've come to a place in my life where I praise God that I got cancer. And I'm looking at her thinking, what in the world are you talking about? How in the world can you praise God? Gail, you're about to die. You've got a young child that you're going to leave and a husband. How can you do that? And she said, in the midst of all that I've been through, I've learned things that I would have never learned any other way. 
And I remember a part of the conversation when she said this. She said, Carol, you remember that verse in the Bible that says, my strength is made perfect in weakness? I said, yeah. She said, I know what that means. I know what that means. I never knew what that meant before. But as I've gone through cancer, I've come to the place where I have nothing left. And God has given me strength in my weakest moment. And what I began to recognize is that though this woman was close to death physically and disease had ravaged her body, God had healed her soul in an amazing way. So it doesn't necessarily mean that he takes away our disease. Sometimes he does. There have been times that I've seen God answer prayer and literally perform a miracle in the lives of other people to bring them from the brink of death back or to remove a disease that is there. And the psalmist says, this is what I've discovered. He heals all my disease. Whether he removes the disease or he chooses to leave it there. And if God doesn't answer my prayer to remove the disease physically, it's because there is a greater purpose that he wants to work in my life. And there is a greater healing healing that is there to come, but this is the one thing I know. He heals all my diseases. There's one other thought that I would give you, and that is for those of us that are believers today, you do understand that that is true even physically, because when we die, guess what? Gail doesn't have cancer anymore. When she dies, she leaves this old body and all the disease that comes with it behind. Death was for her absolute and perfect healing. None of our friends and family who suffered disease on earth carried that disease with them there. There is healing. And the psalmist could say, God, you heal all diseases. You take us into heaven and there's no disease. And some of us are saying, well, that's a raw deal. I'm asking God to heal me now. Well, I want to just ask you a simple question. Let's just suppose that you live 90 years. Would you live, would you rather live 90 years without any pain or any sorrow and eternity facing disease and sorrow? Or would you rather have all eternity healed? Well, no, he heals all my disease. I can trust him. No matter what goes on in my life, no matter how confusing it may seem, I can pray God remove the disease. And if he doesn't, he's got a bigger purpose. He can heal my soul in the midst. He goes on to say he redeems my life from the pit. The pit, of course, is a reference to, to hell, to, to Sheol, to Hades. He said, God saves me. He redeems me. He buys me. He paid the price so that I will not forever be separated from him, but will be redeemed. I am counted among those who have been redeemed. I've been bought and paid for through the blood of Jesus. So he says, listen, I want to praise God personally because he forgives, he heals, he redeems. And, and don't you love this? He crowns my life with loving kindness and tender mercies. He puts a crown on me. The one thing that you can recognize about me when you look at me is that I am the recipient of God's loving kindness and mercy. He doesn't allow, you remember we've talked about grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. Mercy is God withholding what we deserve. And he says, you know what? God doesn't treat me like I deserve. He doesn't punish me in the way that I should be punished. He has chosen to love me instead of that. And he has crowned me. The thing that, that, that you can see when you look at my life is that the loving kindness of God and the mercy of God 
have been a part of my experience all my life. And then he ends, and I love this one, and he says, he satisfies my years with good things. I want to praise God because he satisfies me. There are so many of us that are not content today. There are so many of us that are looking to find contentment and happiness and satisfaction in so many areas of life. And you know what the psalmist says? I have learned to discover that when I rest in him, I'm satisfied. He satisfies my years with good things. The longer I live, and I want to tell you something, young folks, you ought to hang out with old people. Because the longer they live, the more they begin to recognize what really matters and what doesn't. The things that you fight over and the things that you worry about, the things that you just labor for, you talk to an old timer and they're like, you know what, that's not worth the effort. Because we've come to the place where as we grow older in him, he satisfies our years. And we begin to recognize that, you know, the things that are important in life, God gives us. The things that really matter are the things that God provides for us. And we don't have to fight for them. We don't have to work for them. We don't have to hang. And so life becomes this praise. And so the psalmist in the first part says, I praise you because you forgive, you heal, you redeem, you crown my life with righteous or loving kindness, you satisfy my years. The second part of the psalm is in verse 6 down through verse 18. And he praises God for his eternal grace. He's looked at his own life personally. Now he backs up and looks at how God has dealt with the nation of Israel. How has God been faithful with the nation of Israel? He has, he has, he has dealt with, and, and look at verse 6 down through, the Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and the acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. So all of a sudden, the psalmist looks back over his shoulder and says, okay, let's just look at the nation of Israel in the Exodus. So they leave. Moses leads them out of Egypt. It was incredible. God performs miracle after miracle to get them out of bondage. And the first thing that they encounter when they get out of bondage is the Red Sea. And they've got the, the, the wilderness on one side, mountain range on the other. Pharaoh decides to come after them. And all of a sudden, even after seeing all that God had done in their life, they begin to question. They begin to wonder. They begin to, to be afraid. And he says, but you know what we can learn from that experience? How did he act? He was compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. God didn't get mad at him and say, I can't believe after all the stuff I did, you guys have forgotten. So then he parts the Red Sea. Well, I mean, that's pretty amazing. He parts the Red Sea. They walk across on dry ground, okay? The, the walls of the sea are parted. The nation of Israel walks across on dry ground. Pharaoh's army starts to come. God causes the water to come back, destroys the army. They experience that, and, and, and within weeks, they've already forgotten that. And what does God do? He says, you know what? He slowed anger. God didn't get mad at him. Aren't you glad God didn't get mad? And say, I can't believe you've already forgotten. You guys had Thanksgiving two days ago, and you've already forgotten. You're already stressed out, worried about what you're going to do. You just forgot about the prayer that you prayed, thanking me for providing for you. And now you're losing it over something that's in the future 
Aren't you glad God doesn't get mad and say, I'm just, I'm just fed up with you guys. I am done. I'm finished. But when we look at the nation of Israel, what do we see? He's slow to anger. He doesn't. And he is rich, abounding in loving kindness. He, 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 he continues to deal with us according to that loving kindness. God's work through the nation of Israel demonstrates his love, his faithfulness, his justice, his righteousness. He said he's slow to anger. He's quick to forgive. He punishes us left than we deserve. He gives us mercy. Well, the third section is in verse 19. Verse 19 by itself talks about God's reign over the universe. When he talks about how that God has worked in the past in the nation of Israel. And then in verse 19, he said, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. He said, this is what I want you to remember. When we talk about the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God, the way that God works in our life, those are so personal that we have a tendency to forget. This is God we're talking about. This is the creator of the universe. This is the one who stepped out on nothing and spoke everything into existence. This is God that holds this entire world in the palm of his hand that chooses to love you. Do you understand how amazing that love is when you recognize the massive nature of an eternal sovereign God? It is God, the ruler of the universe that has chosen to love us. He helps us individually, he loves the oppressed, but it is God who reigns over all the world. It is God that is loving. It is God that is merciful. It is God that is forgiving. And he gives us a personal look here to remind us that the love that we receive comes from a God who is on his throne, sovereign in the universe and chooses in his sovereignty to care for you. He chooses to love you, wonder of wonders, as we heard in the song a moment ago. That for me, God sent his son. The fourth section of this particular psalm is the latter part, beginning with verse 20, or actually verse uh, uh, 20 all the way down. Bless the Lord, you, his angels, mighty in strength to perform his word. Obey the voice of the word. Bless the Lord, all ye hosts, you who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. It ends with what we would call a doxology. When I was a kid growing up in a small church, we used to sing the doxology. Every Sunday morning, the choir would come out, and the first thing that would happen is we would sing this doxology. What is a doxology? It's a call to praise. It's a call to worship. You remember the words of the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We begin by saying, you know what? All the blessings that we experience in life, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's redemption, whether it's he crowns my life with goodness and grace, all of that comes from him. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And, and then the next phrase says, praise him all creatures here below. That's us. That we are to praise him. 
Here we are below, praise him, join in the anthem and the choir of praise, praise him all creatures here below. And, and then the third phrase, remember, praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Heaven rejoices and praises it, all the angels in heaven are praising him. And then it ends by saying, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, this, this mighty chorus of praise. So one Psalm 103 gives us these four different divisions, personal and historical, and, 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 and from the perspective of who God is, and, and from the praise that is ushered in as a result of that. But he also gives us, in the illustrations of verse 11 through 16, what I would call four dimensions of God's love. He kind of in the middle of it, offers these illustrations of God's love. The dimensions of God's love are, are, are the height and the breadth and the depth and the length of God's love. First, he writes in, in Psalm uh, 103, uh, uh, 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. You know, you know, it's funny. David had no idea how high the heavens are from the earth when he said that. He didn't know how high the heavens are. He just looked up into the vastness of heaven. You know, there are three words in the Bible for the word for heaven. There are three heavens. There's the heaven that we see in the day. That's where the clouds are and where the airplanes fly. Um, there's the heavens that we see by night. That's where the planets are and the stars and the galaxies. And, and then there's the heaven that we see by faith. David, as he looked up into the sky to the heavens and, and as he looked at night to see the heavens and the vastness, though he didn't understand all that that meant, he was able to say that God's love and his kindness is greater than all of that. For us, it's even more meaningful, isn't it? Because we know just a little bit about space and the distance between earth and the heavens. And we're learning more every day. Scientists have said, and of course this changes almost on a daily or weekly basis, but many scientists tell us that, that the, 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 the thing that we can see, the farthest object that we can see in the heavens is about 10 billion light years away. And when you think about that, we know that light travels at 186,000 miles per second. So if I'm going to try to figure out how far is that farthest thing from me, I've got to do some math. And I think what, what we've got to do is we've got to multiply 186,000 by 60 because there's 60 seconds in a minute. So we're going to multiply that by 60. And then we've got to multiply that by 60 because there's 60 minutes in an hour. And then we have to multiply that times 24 because there's 24 hours in a day and we got to multiply that by 365 days because there's 365 days in the year and then we have to multiply that times 10 billion and that gets us to the place where we understand how far away and, and and you know what he's saying and even that can't contain the love and the goodness 
of God. The height, it's immeasurable. God's loving kindness toward us. Secondly, he gives us the breadth. I love this one. He says, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. And I love the fact that he uses the word transgression. Transgression means that I know I'm doing wrong and I do it anyway. Transgressions, when you're, when, when you're walking along a, a path in the woods, maybe you're, you're, you're on a trail and you come on this trail and it's a well-worn trail, but you come to a sign that says posted, no trespassing, and you go anyway. You know what you're doing. And he says, you know what? He, even those sins that I know that I commit, he has removed them as far as the east is from the west. Now, I don't, I don't know that David understood how far the east was from the west. But I, I, I do know this. If you start out from here traveling east, you can travel east until you're back here. And if you leave this very place going west, you can travel all the way around the circumference of the globe until you're back to this very spot going west. Now, you can't do that going north. If you go north, you're going to go north far enough that all of a sudden you're going to start going south. And if you go south far enough, you're going to get to the place where you begin to go north. But that doesn't work for east and west. You can go east forever. You can go west forever. And he says, God divides our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Someone said it, maybe it, it, it looks this way. If God divides our sin or separates our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, maybe it's as if God is saying that I stand and I have a choice. Here is your sin, here is you. If I look at your sin, I have to have my back to you. But if I look to you, I have my back to your sin. When God looks at us, he turns his back to our sin so that he has separated us from our sin. Sin separates us from God. And God has chosen to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, the, the breadth of his love for us. And then he talks about the depth of his love. We may not fully understand the, the height in the heavens. We may not fully understand the east from the west, but we can understand the depth because he said, like a father has compassion for his children in verse 13. We can understand that. And we can understand the compassion a father has for his children even more so after Jesus came because he explained it to us, didn't he? He showed us what the father's love looks like. You remember the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells? The son who rebels against the father, turns against him, even though the father had been great and kind and generous and good. And the son says, I want my inheritance and I'm going to leave and I'm going to go do my own thing. And the father reluctantly gives the son his inheritance. It's as if he is saying to them, dad, it looks like you're not going to kick the bucket anytime soon. And so I just want my part of the inheritance. Now I'm done with you. I'm finished. And he turns his back on his family and he turns his back on his friends and he leaves for a foreign country. And he spends all of it in riotous living, the Bible says. 
He comes to his senses while he's out there because he has nothing. He is homeless. He doesn't have a job. He's eating anything that he can find off the streets. He had really come to the, uh, to the lowest ebb of his life. And he came to his senses and said, you know what? I, what in the world am I doing? My dad has servants that are paid to, and they have food and they have a shelter and a place to live. Now I can go back. I certainly don't deserve to be his son after all that I've done, but I can, I can be one of his servants. And so he comes back and you remember the story. The Bible says this, the father saw him while he was a yet a great way off is the way it says it in the King James. While he was yet a great way off, the father saw him. Why did the father see him when he was a great way off? Because dad had been looking for him. Because dad got up every day looking down that lane, longing for the day that his son would come back, praying that his son would return, longing to be restored. There's the heart of the father. The heart of the father longs to be restored to that broken relationship. He's longing for us to come back to him. The compassion of the father, we understand what it is because we saw it. And what happens when he comes, he runs out to him and meets him and, and, and embraces him. And the son tries to tell him his rehearsed speech of, I don't deserve to be your son and I need to be a hired servant. The father has none of that. He says, bring a robe and put it on him and a ring and put it on his feet. This is my son who was dead and is alive. He's gone and he's back. There's the compassion of the father. The depth of God's love is the compassion of a father. So is the Lord's compassion for those who fear him. And then the final thing that he offers is this. Not only does he offer the height and the breadth and the, the depth, but he also talks about that, that, that length of his love finally God's love is even more amazing when we understand what he says in verse 14 and, and through 16. It's amazing to know that God loves us when we understand in verse 14 that we, for he himself knows our frame. He's mindful that we're just dust. God is aware of the fact that we're only here for a little while. And God has chosen to love us. God has chosen to give to us these good things, the length of his love, amazing. And he knows our frame, that he's mindful that our days are like grass as a flower in the field. But his love is sure in spite of who we are, in spite of what we are. Listen, Thanksgiving's over. You've already pulled out the Christmas decorations. You've moved on. But if you don't carry with you into the stressful days ahead, the truth of what the psalmist discovered in 103. You'll struggle. But when we walk and the confidence of God's love higher than the heavens. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed our sins so that we could be made right with him. Like a father loves a child, he loves us and understands who we are. And so from everlasting to everlasting, 
from children to children's children. God's love is everlasting and continues. You and I can experience life at its best. So before we got too far away from Thanksgiving, I wanted to stop and remind you of those truths. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you have given us today, the opportunity to be reminded of truth. We know this stuff. That's, that's the sad part. We know this. And yet, we've forgotten. We've moved on. And we live as if it's not true. So I pray that today we could internalize this and begin to live our lives in light of the reality of these truths. If there's one here today that has never accepted you as Savior, Father, we have been reminded today of your amazing love for us, demonstrated in the greatest way through Jesus coming to pay the price for our sin debt that we could be made right with you. And I pray that today would be the day that those in this room and those listening would recognize their need for you, turn from sin to receive you and the gift of eternal life you offer. They can do that right now by simply saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I ask you to forgive me of my sin come into my life. And as they do that, Father, I know that you've responded. For the rest of us that know you, may we walk with gratitude in heart to live as you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.